Welcome to Feeding Frenzy, a podcast brought to you by the Breastfeeding Resource Center. The BRC is a nonprofit organization in Abington, Pennsylvania. We're here to provide support on various parenting topics to help you get through the roller coaster ride of parenting. I'm your host, Colette Acker. Let's take this journey together. Hi, everyone. This is Colette, and today I have a co-host with me. I have Louisa Brandenberger, who is now the assistant director of the BRC, and this happens to be a day that we work together, so I encourage her to join me in recording the podcast. So welcome, Louisa. Thanks. Um, I've been on a co- the podcast as a guest, but never as a host, so this is kind of exciting for me. It's more fun on this side sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And we have an exciting guest to join us. Let's welcome Jessica Dashevsky. Her credentials include LPC and PMHC, which stands for Licensed Professional Counselor and Perinatal Mental Health Counselor. She has experience practicing throughout the psychology field over the last decade from family therapy to behavioral addiction. She pursued working with the perinatal population after experiencing infertility, birth trauma, and nursing difficulties, and realized there were not a lot of good resources available. She spent three years helping to build a thriving family therapy program for Maternity Care Coalition, and more recently returned to private practice clinical work to provide direct support to the perinatal population. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, thanks for coming. So um, I asked uh, you to talk to us today about some postpartum, about postpartum depression, and you immediately raised my awareness, telling me how it's now referred to as PMADS, which is perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. So thank you for getting me up to date on the, the correct verbiage. We we learned something. Oh, we too, did. We're like, I don't even know what that is. So we're just gonna kind of jump right into it. So some some of the questions that I have, um, and I think a lot of people wonder is like, what percentage of women do you or do we find are experiencing PMADS? In your experience, like, what do you? So I always say that's a loaded question yeah. uh, because there is so much different criteria that affects whether or not somebody's going to develop a PMAD. So PMADs can be right depression, anxiety. It could be OCD associated with postpartum. Um, it could be postpartum psychosis, which I feel like we're seeing a little bit more in the media more recently, unfortunately. So. The old statistics stated that one in seven women are going to develop postpartum depression, anxiety, and kind of be under that umbrella of PMADS. But more recently, some studies are saying that it's one in three women. Mm -hmm. And then we see an increase in um, bio POC. And we see an increase in uh, women who have experienced um, anxiety, depression, any type of mental health diagnosis prior to pregnancy so it's one of those things where we can just say it's a lot it's a lot more than you think well and you know that a bunch of people don't do anything about it yeah uh so they're not um you know being counted 
So that number is way higher than I'm sure the statistics. I think we think it is. Yeah. yeah. So when does it usually occur? So for actually a lot of people, it starts during the pregnancy period. We see it starting with prenatal symptoms and it's very underreported for many reasons. Uh, one of the biggest being a stigma around you have to be happy because you're pregnant. Right. So you what kind of symptoms happy. would you see uh, for a woman in pregnancy? Honestly, it's the same symptoms. So uh, trouble sleeping, uh, a lot of intrusive thinking. That's kind of like the big connection between all of the different diagnoses. It's the intrusive thoughts. Um, you and know, so when you say that, I... what's an example? Like you're afraid that there's something wrong with the baby? Yeah, so there's those types of intrusive thoughts. Like this pregnancy is not going to go well. I'm going to do something wrong. Uh, there's something wrong with the baby. There's something wrong with me. And then there's also the, I'm not going to be a good mother. What if this was a mistake? What if I don't love this baby as much as my other children? So runs the gamut for sure. Um, But usually it will start there. And oftentimes if midwife OB is not looking for it, has not caught it, it will then continue postpartum and possibly get worse. Yeah. And I remember... um just going to OB appointments with my daughter and um, she was the one who was pregnant at the time. And I, I remember that more than mine. And it, and it was more recent. The OB visits were like five or 10 minutes. And I've, it's got to be really difficult for a physician or um, healthcare professional to pick up on things in that short amount of time. So who's, who's looking out for them? No one. No. So you guys are gonna have to knock me off of my soapbox because this is (laughs) tends to be where I get heated. Um, Really, the follow up in terms of mental health is just not there. The amount of women, including myself, that they go in for that six week checkup and they're given the EPDS, which is the assessment for depression postpartum. They're just given it. They're not explained what to do. Nobody sits with them. They're just expected to read the directions, fill it out, give it back, and hope that somebody addresses something. And that's it. And that's six weeks. What's happened in the past six, six weeks. weeks of their life, right, of, yeah. since having the baby, right? Well, I heard that the, some pediatricians are doing it at their office. Um, yes. So because they're seeing these families far And we're doing sooner. it here at the BRC yes. for our new mm-hmm. families. Yeah. Yeah. So Jessica, Which another What's oh, that? I'm, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's, that's crucial. And that's sort of like the hope that we have on the side of the mental health field is that everywhere that we are touching on the postpartum period, somebody's asking, like, how are you doing? They're asking these questions. Right. We're just seeing it as much as we need to. So I love that the BRC does it. Yeah. Because you I, guys, I'm sure, see some things. And like Colette said, we, we have the opportunity to sit with a family for an hour, hour and a half, and really talk to um, someone. And not everyone is truthful, I think, sometimes, because there is that stigma of like, oh, man, they're going to think something's wrong with me if I'm having these. And so they they might not be so truthful. Um, but spending an hour and a half with someone, I think you really get an idea as to where they are with just life itself and how they're handling things. And by no means am I a therapist, but I can kind of pick up on some concerns at times. 
And again, it's great that the Pete does it. But again, Pete's have 15 minutes, you know, to be with these families. But mm-hmm. at least 15 minutes, it's just like you're saying, it's just one more person who's kind of checking in. Um, so, you know, I think it's great that we have the opportunity to we have some great referrals, too. But just being able to acknowledge that there could be something mental health going on and being able to help that person. And that kind of leads me to the next question is, you know, I think everyone hears of like, postpartum blues, you know, or baby blues, I should say. And then there's like postpartum depression. Um, And we're starting, I think, in the last few years, hearing a little bit more about postpartum anxiety. Like, what's the difference between all of these? I think, like you had said, they all kind of fall under PMADS. But what's the difference between a mom who's just having like some baby blues to a mom who's experiencing, you know, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So baby blues typically will fall between day two to up to day 35 postpartum. So it's that really fresh period, you know, your hormones have shifted a lot, you're not getting the same progesterone that you were getting while you were pregnant, and you're kind of fending for yourself hormonally now. During that time, there may be some baby blues. For it to be that though, it can't be impeding on your functioning, right? If you're not sleeping because of it, if you are experiencing paranoia and not letting anybody else touch the baby or go near the baby, or having just like a lot of those, we call there's there's the normal intrusive thoughts, which is, oh my God, what if I drop my baby and trip like as I'm walking to right. get a bottle? Yeah. Um, versus the, oh my God, um, my baby's gonna get sick and die. Or one that I hear a lot lately is my breast milk is poisoning my baby. And that's why they're crying all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And then you kind of have to, if they have the support, you talk them down from that. But that's an extreme. That's an extreme fear. And so at that point, we look at, mm, this isn't just the baby blues. This is something that's really affecting you in your daily life. And so after that 35-day period, if they haven't already been diagnosed, that's when we look at what kind of PMADs are we talking. And that can be up to the first two years postpartum. Wow. I think most people think it's just the first month or so after. We're just a little sad. No, I think that's, it's just kind of been, like, it's kind of expected and that's normal and just move on. So I don't think a lot of people know that it can last that long. Yeah, and I really um, feel strongly that our lactation consultants here are trained in what to look for, some red flags. And maybe you can talk, well, you talked about some of those. But, you know, I recall working with a client years ago, and she just kept coming back and saying, I don't have enough milk. And the baby's growing perfectly fine. She could not believe that it was working. Mm -hmm. And you put the kid on the scale, you measure the baby's intake, you're like, everything's going beautifully, and, and, and she wouldn't But is he it. getting enough? Yeah. Right. yeah. But I don't think I have enough milk, and it, it, we couldn't convince her. And it didn't hit me until after she walked out the door, like, oh. That's not <laughs> It's, yeah. Um, so I contacted her. <laughs> yeah. But, Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I think, a really great example of, right, there's that that functioning is being impeded. You can reality check all you want and, like, try to show her, like, no, no, you are, you are, it's there. She's not seeing it. She's not feeling it. She's like, nope, nope, I'm, like, not being enough. I'm not enough. That's a lot of the times what it will boil down to, too. It's this feeling as a mother 
of I'm not being enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think for the longest time, yeah, I I think for the longest time, what, I don't know if it was said to me at some point, but I always remember like, you know, postpartum or like baby blues is those feelings you're saying of like, oh man, what if like, I'm not a great mom? What if my kid doesn't like me and that? And then there's, but, but you still, I would always say to my husband, like I'm caring for the baby and it's crying and I'm trying to nurse, but I'm still trying to care for this baby. And then there's this line of like, I'm out, I'm not doing it. Mm. And just like ignoring the crying. And and so that's where in my mind, what I see is like baby blues to postpartum depression. I know that's a, it's not, it's, it's a really gray area. It's not so <laughs> definitive, but that's an example that someone had brought to my attention once. And is, is that kind of like you're saying, if you can't, you can't care for your baby that it may be more depression than just like the post, like a baby blues kind of, is that a right assessment or, or either you can't care for the baby or you can't care for yourself. Okay. Like it has gotten to the point where, you know, you're not eating, you're not sleep. Like the only energy that you have is going to try and take care of the baby. Yeah. That's also where we start seeing those like suicidal ideations start popping up of like, I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm a horrible mother because you're tired. Your brain's yeah. not working the way that it should. You're not fueling your system. Yeah. And yeah. depending on what your support network looks like, it might just be you. you yeah. Know? And what, you know, what I've always heard, like the non-medical things to do if you suffer from you know depression is take a walk in the sunshine and and get a good night's sleep and, and nap healthy. and eat healthy and we're like no new mother has any of <laughs> oh, those and options. exercise yeah. oh an exercise no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so what what are some things that people can do well, I'm a little biased <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it. besides going to therapy <laughs> Um, so, you know, therapy, definitely actually finding a professional that specializes in perinatal mental health. We're trained, um, to know all the signs is great, but there's so much other support that's out there. Like you look at postpartum support international, they offer free groups. And sometimes it's literally just knowing that you're not alone, being able to talk with other parents who are experiencing what's going on. Um, you know, it's a lot better now too because virtual is an option and i think for a long time there was this idea of like well in person is best and i'm like yeah well you try and get a mother to leave her newborn at home and go in person to a support group or in person to um a therapist who is not baby friendly right try and make that realistic it's just not so we're seeing like there is that push for um, utilizing things like PSI's groups. I know that the BRC went and um, is continued their virtual support group as well. So there are those things. Um, Outside of that, yeah, I mean, taking a walk would be nice. (laughs) But again, it's it's not going to always be that realistic. I think the other piece... And that easy to do, like just to just run out but like look at a day like today or a cold day or a very hot day you can't take your newborn out Mm -hmm. in that yeah yeah nope 
And not everybody has the money to get one of those UV lamps and sit in front of it for right. <laughs> 15, 30 minutes a day. So, um, we, You talked a little bit about this. I, I'm assuming if you have difficulty with anxiety or depression before you had children, there's a higher risk of postpartum and anxiety. Is higher risk for it to worsen? Worsen or redevelop. So statistically, I think it's between 50 and 75% if you have experienced it prior or not just like anxiety, depression, but we look at addiction too. So if you've had issues with addiction or if your partner has had issues with addiction, we see that the percentage skyrockets. So we go from somebody that may only like, you have some risk factors, um, but you know, you haven't experienced mental health, you haven't experienced trauma. And then you look at somebody that has, and there's a 75% more of a chance that they're going to develop some type of PMADS postpartum. Wow. Yeah. So I always think we um, work in center city at temple hospital which uh, the the community is in one of the poorest communities in our city and deal with a lot of social difficulties um not only income difficulties and how much of a stressor that is and how many of these people are already dealing with anxiety and high stress levels and the access to the mental health care is really, really difficult. Oh, for sure. And that was one of the reasons for um, Maternity Care Coalition's mental health family therapy program. It was specifically to reach those populations. It's completely grant funded. We did not take any insurance um, and it provided mobile care. It was virtual as well during COVID, but provided care within the home so that they would have that access. Did that help? It did tremendously. It does not still though account for like the years and years of not trusting mental health professionals, not trusting doctors, Um, you know, and I will say that maternity care coalition in general has done a great job of doing that outreach, but it's only for certain parts of the city. Right, right. And there's nothing else that I know that's like it that had, you know, the capacity to do that and also the program. So we're we're helping, we were helping a chunk and that's it. Yeah. So the Maternity Care Coalition, just to let everyone know, is a nonprofit organization within Philadelphia um, and they assist low income families who have children between the ages of zero and three years old, um, assisting them with the Cribs for Kids, Cribs for Kids program, um, this program, uh, they have a breastfeeding program, and they do um, early. What is it? Early start to the the daycare. Early head start. Yeah. Early head mm-hmm. start. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just to give everybody a little bit of background there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and is that does that um, still happen with Maternity Care Coalition? Are they still doing it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They are still doing it. I think that all of my clinicians are still there um, as well. And that's and they've been working on kind of like expanding that. That's great. And, and maternity care coalition has like a lot of programs. They've been expanding outside of Philadelphia too, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think Louisa, you and I have talked about this before. Outside of that, 
finding a clinician, a specialist that mm-hmm. takes insurance. Yeah, insurance is, is really a factor. Hard. Yeah, very much so. And and you know, there's lots of great resources, but insurance, as you know, Jessica, doesn't necessarily pay for it. Myself, I see a therapist, my insurance does not pay for it. And um, you know, I'm lucky enough and privileged enough that I can afford to go. Um, and, and I do have a really supportive workplace that allows me to go when I should be at work. Um, and you know, not everybody has that, you know? And so I, I know I'm so, I'm so, so lucky to have that. It just, you know, it's just unfortunate that, you know, and, and this is like a bigger global issue of, you know, or maybe not global, an American issue of, of just mental health and, and finding that it's not uh, looked at in the same. If, you know, I had diabetes, you know, it would, they would have care for me and they would have me seeing nutritionists and that would all be covered under insurance. But the minute it's mm-hmm. like a mental health concern, um, they're like, well, you know, you got to figure it out. And there's people in this world um, that are, you know, having a hard time paying for their groceries. And spending yeah. 85 or $100 sometimes a month or a week um, to be seen is just not, it's just not feasible. feasible. And it's just, just awful. And so, you know, one of the things that we like to, that I like to do when I'm talking to a family, you know, especially prenatally, it's just like, what are some things that you can look out for? What are some things that we can kind of, you know, who are seeing families prenatally? Is there something that we could kind of, encourage families or is there anything that we could kind of do that would protectively say to moms or families like this is what to look out for is there a way of like avoiding these behaviors is there anything you could suggest on that prenatally that we could offer yeah so i think providing as my much psychoeducation as you can um, to families prenatally is super important. Uh, one of the biggest that I feel like is really avoided is postpartum psychosis because there's such like a stigma around it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even like with my patients, I always ask like, are you sleeping? No, no, not do you have time to sleep, but are you actually sleeping? That's a great one. When yeah. you can. Yeah. Um, that is a really, that question is going to tell you a lot. If they're like, no, I don't feel like I need to. Like, I know that, like, I'm not getting any, but I feel fine. Red flag. Yeah. And they, I think most Um, people would think that's a great thing. Yeah. Like I'm functioning and I'm not even sleeping and it's working great. I am the opposite if I don't get enough sleep. So yeah. (laughs) So that's really a great way to look at it. Big red flag. Yeah. Yep. And that's that mania. That's that like. So a little bit of it is fight or flight, but it is like one of the biggest um, signs that we can actually look out for that postpartum psychosis might be brewing. And the issue with it is it's quick. Yeah. It can do damage quickly. Yeah. But the beauty of it is if you actually catch it, it is really quick to treat too. Yeah. Like a mom can very much go from that really terrible state to being okay with the right treatment um, pretty fast. What are the treatments? So for postpartum psychosis, it's usually an inpatient stay, um, depending on what the needs are. And which is, I think that's a difficult thing. You're separating mom and baby. Um, But I want to be happily able to say that there's a lot of great programs out there. Um, A lot of them are far and, you know, 
that actually specialize in it. There's maybe one or two in Pennsylvania. Uh, so the access is just not there. So at the at the very least, I think it's, you know, getting them in touch with crisis, making sure that they know what crisis is available in their counties um, and also getting them in touch with even some kind of mental health provider. Like I feel I feel lucky that even though I've moved to private practice, that I found a private practice that specializes in everything perinatal that takes insurance. Yeah. And offers like low cost for people that have high like deductibles and have um, high copays. Again, we're few and far between, but we're out there. So I think I'm a big proponent of like, get those materials to them. I know that they get a lot of stuff already, but like really like this is to take care of you. Yeah. You're going to get a lot about how you feed baby and like warning signs for baby this and that. This is about you. And we need you okay to be able to parent baby. Right. Yeah. Right. And the psychosis is that basically there the, there's a fear of them hurting themselves or the baby or the, is there more to it? Yeah, no, it's it's very much a fear of hurting themselves, hurting the baby. I mean, some of the classics you hear about um, are a sudden like paranoia that the baby is somehow possessed or evil. Um, you'll get that like delusion in terms of religion. Um, you know, there was that pretty famous case in March uh, with the labor and delivery nurse uh, where unfortunately she took the lives of all three of her children. Um, and a lot of that is either, I need to protect them from this world this world is evil or there's something wrong with them and I need to protect the world from them. So it's very scary and really like not screened for at all in, in most places. I've never had an OB that even asked those questions because the EPDS does not cover it. Right. Yeah. They asked the one question, like, would you, would you ever thought of harming yourself? yourself? Right. Is postpartum psychosis something that, I mean, the way it sounds, it's very under, diagnosed um is it is it happening i think we hear once in a blue moon like this you know horror horror stories of this happening but is it happening maybe not to that extent of that mother harming her children um but is it happening a lot more than we know or that we're hearing about in the news yeah i'd say that it's it's probably underreported i mean if you look at the statistics it's like two per a thousand women but then you look at the population of the u.s and that sounds like it's not a lot but that's still a pretty good number yeah absolutely absolutely um so but i think with everything else it's it's probably underreported um it's also just some of it is some of those diagnoses really blend together and um i think if you don't know what you're looking for, it's hard to know what's actually happening. Particularly, I think with postpartum psychosis, because you see some of the overlapping symptoms with schizophrenia. And if you have a mom like in that age period, in that early 20s, where something like that could be triggered, is that is it postpartum psychosis or is mom developing schizophrenia because of her history? Yeah. So. 
Yeah. And so I often say that if somebody has a history of um, anxiety or depression, if I meet a family member, like, do you know what to look for? Do you remember when life was difficult for her? Will you know the signs and be able to help her if she can't see them? And does that happen that you are you're in in it, but you don't know you're in it? Yeah. I think some families and and new parents can be like, yep, I'm struggling. I had a mom yesterday who's like, can you tell me who to talk to? I'm really struggling between birth and birth trauma and, you know, readmittance to the hospital. Like she was very, very comfortable with saying, help, who can I see? Where I think a lot, I I always, I think I, I I might've told you this story, Jessica, I had a, a family with a very traumatic birth and, um, her partner was, I'm like, you know, you might need to talk to him. He's like, no, nah, I'm just kind of pushing it down, pushing it down. Like, and he's like, he's admitting that he doesn't want to acknowledge it. And I think for him, I was like, ha, ha, ha. no, you really should see somebody like, because, he, <laughs> yeah. you know, they had this really traumatic birth. And, and then he's like, and a couple of years ago, um, you know, we were in a very bad car accident and I, and I saw yeah, I thought I saw this person I love die. And like, I'm just gonna keep pushing all that stuff down and it all came back up to her. And and I think I think maybe maybe it's men who can't, I don't know. Um, but I don't think everyone can acknowledge it. Like Colette's saying, like, is that what a lot of it is? They're just like, la, 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 everything's fine. Or they don't know. Or They're they just don't so know, far right. deep into it that yeah. this is what parenthood is yeah. like. Right, yeah. I think especially as a first time parent, I think you're going to see that a lot more of like, you know, no, I mean, everybody's told me that this is hard and, or like, if I admit something, that's the other thing. If I admit something, then I'm going to be judged, um, depending on socioeconomically, what population we're looking at, is my baby going to be taken away from me? Yeah. If I say something's wrong with me, I don't trust that. I'm not going to be like reported as an unfit parent. Yeah. Yeah. And to Lisa's point too, nobody asks partners how they're doing usually. Like they don't go to that six week appointment and fill out an EPDS. And the reality is if you've got it, your partner 50% more likely to get it. Wow. And it looks different. It looks different with partners and support caregivers as well. So yeah, no, there's there's a lot of crack slipping that, that happens, unfortunately. So I'm glad that, you know, you guys are bringing awareness to it and that we're talking about it right now. Yeah, so it's what, the only I way mean, to get it out. What are the best things that new parents can do in the early postpartum period to try and stave away? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, or is there anything? I always say the best thing you can do is talk, open your mouth, say something. Even if you're worried about judgment, find that either one professional you can talk to, that one family member, someone outside of yourself and let them know, I don't know if I'm doing okay. I don't know if this is normal. Um, I think we tell, you know, we tell parents all the time, like, no, you pick up the phone and if you're worried about your kid, you call and ask a question. It's that nurse's job to answer it. It's the same thing. Just talk to somebody, use the chat line. I know uh, PSI has a text line as well. Uh, Do something to let someone else know. So at the very least, that burden is taken off of you. 
And it may be that you're told like what you're experiencing right now, it is normal. It is okay. And if this starts happening, if your functioning is impeded, if you cannot stop crying all the time, if you, you know, are starting to think about hurting yourself, then that's a problem and we need to make sure that you get help. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I love about support groups, you know, whatever support group you're in breastfeeding or, you know, it's just like hearing other people and you're like, Oh, she feels the same way I do. This is good. You know, it's just like, it makes you feel (laughs) so much more quote. I'm doing air quotes normal. Um, (laughs) So I wish more people would come out for that. Yeah. So you kind of talked about, um, you know, some inpatient therapy for psychosis um, and, you know, how how are we treating along with, you know, therapy, probably what what are some other ways that that these PMADs can be uh, treated? Is there is there medications? And I know, you know, most of which what I know, the, the medications I know of are, are typically uh compatible with breastfeeding, but is that, is that the next step therapy and medication or, or medication or what are, what are we doing to help these families? Yeah, I think medication management is like a really great piece to it when it's needed. Um, there are some great nurse practitioners and psychiatrists that, um, are sort of aware of like what is safe. Cause that, what you just mentioned is the biggest concern and also prenatally, the big concern is I'm going to hurt my baby if I take something or I want to breastfeed. (laughs) What are my options? And the reality is there's a lot, there's a lot of breastfeeding friendly and safe medications that are out there. Um, And a, a part of it is also the education of like, this isn't a forever thing. You don't have to be on something forever, but we want to help stabilize you so that therapy can work better. Right. It's like that booster. It's like that's something that's holding up. So that's an option. And then we look at holistic care in general. Like what what are things that you subscribe to as a human being? Uh, spiritual help, like having like more involvement in your church or your synagogue um, and like leaning on that. We look at, you know, there's um, yoga practices and acupuncture and all these things that are holistically good for you in general that can also have a positive impact on uh pmads so it's also that it's finding like what are things in general that usually will make you feel better what's out there and how can it support you that's awesome that's very helpful um yeah and i think we touched on this a little bit but that transition from baby blues to postpartum depression I think that's probably a fear for a lot of parents who have heard about postpartum depression. They're getting these questionnaires at their pediatrician's office and don't really know what they are. Um, You know, is there, is it the time? Is it the 30 days? If it's still going on a month later, that should be a red flag for you? Or is it just the intensity of the feelings? I think it's both. You know, again, um, even if it's during that 30 days and, you know, you're just not feeling like yourself, that's why reach out for support there. But I'd say if you want like a marker for yourself, if you're like, okay, if I'm not better by this period, 
I need to do something. I'd say you could say within after that first 30, 35 days or once you've breached the fourth trimester. So that first like 12 weeks, um, that adjustment period, if you're still not feeling great, even if you haven't like reached the super functioning impeded place, that's telling you that this is something that's going to stick around if you don't get help. And it, right. and it just gets, I don't want to say worse, but does it kind of get worse with time if it's untreated, like lots of other illnesses in the world? Do you think? Yep, yeah. uh, it certainly does. It can affect attachment and bonding. You know, uh, in my practice in particular, I also see couples and it can affect your marriage, your relationships with others. Um, Especially, I want to say, unfortunately, in the U.S., where a lot of people are forced to go back to work at six weeks, yeah, uh, where we haven't even like reached that point of being out of the fourth trimester, mm -hmm. it's also going to affect you there and like how well you work and how you transition into all these new stressors. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say like that's a pretty pretty good indicator. I get, you know, it'd be great if like you went home from the hospital with like a social worker <laughs> who would check in on and you like, once a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. I do a lot like in the European yes. countries. We'll pop in and bring you food <laughs> and see how you're doing, throwing your laundry for you. Um, so I'm feeling not myself and I can't even think about going through the stack of papers I brought home from the hospital because they're under this other stack of stuff. So if I go to Google, what is the best thing to Google if I'm looking for help? You just Google my name and I'll be there. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but, but great question. Um, so postpartum depression, you're going to see like a lot of different resources out there. Postpartum Support International should be like one of the first things that pops up because it's world renowned. And if you are a uh, PSI trained clinician, so if you have the certification, you're listed on there. So they're going to have resources for you about who's trained in your area. Well, they're going to have resources for their free support groups. And they run the gamut, including like medically fragile um, infants, NICU parents, uh, you know, Latin American. Like, if you can think it, they probably have that support group there. That's right. awesome. They have the chat. Yeah. And there's usually a chapter in um, a lot of different states. So it'll also give you that information. There's that. You can call your insurance provider if you have the energy to do that. Honestly, um, that is not one of the certifications that they keep track of. So they'll be able to help you find at least somebody that quote unquote takes your insurance. I would say look on look on the directory. Um, yeah, because they may not there are, they may not have that specialty that you have, right? Yeah, exactly. Which I think is you, really you important, right? For 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 someone dealing with depression, you know, not related to postpartum is is going to maybe present differently, and it's there. It's just it's different, right? It's not. I mean, mm -hmm. de like depression is depression, but I think this is more of this very specific fragile group 
that we're looking at, yeah. we're looking at a dyad, we're looking at, you know, a parent and a baby and, and possibly a partner. And, and mm-hmm. so that I think complicates it a little bit. It makes it a little bit more necessary to have someone who really knows mm-hmm. something what they're talking about. about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having, you know, sending a client of ours to a therapist who, you know, understands breastfeeding or understands the importance that many families have in continuing breastfeeding. I think in my experience, you know, just generally, oh, you know, that the parents having a hard time. Uh, well, just stop breastfeeding. It'll get so much easier. Yeah. And and when you're struggling thinking that I'm not a good parent and then they're like, yeah, don't breastfeed. Then you're like, well, now I'm a, a big fat loser and I can't even breastfeed. <laughs> and like, I think it kind of makes it worse. I mean, there are I, there definitely are situations that maybe breastfeeding or or weaning is is the the answer, but I don't think it's the automatic answer that I think it's often we kind of there. I think families are often geared like you know steered towards that, and it's like that's not always the answer. So having somebody who knows about you know hormonally what's going on, um, and 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 the importance of of how this person has chosen to feed their baby, be it breast or bottle, whatever, but. I think it's really important to have some knowledge of that. Obviously, even like weaning, like what does the weaning process look like and how it can totally affect your mental health? Yeah. Like, especially if it's being forced upon you at three weeks postpartum. Yeah. It, it's very different. Hormonally from, and emotionally. Yeah. And emotionally. It's a double whammy. Yeah. yeah. And, and interesting that you say weaning is that, you, you might maybe have experienced some of this. We definitely have had a handful of families that are, you know, maybe nursing a two-year-old or three-year-old and they start going through this weaning process and some of these emotions come out of nowhere and they're like, I've been great. And all of a sudden I'm this, you know, really weepy or upset or concerned uh, parent all of a sudden. So it's, it's kind of in that little group of postpartum, but you could be talking a couple years later And that's a hard decision for lots of families to make when it's time to wean. So are you, do you ever see anyone with any of those kind of concerns on the, on the other end, not, you know, just out of the womb can, you know, moms and families. Yeah. uh, For honestly, what tends to happen is I bring it up because feeding challenges are like one of my specialties. And when it comes to mental health and they'll go like, Oh, really? Cause like when I weaned my first one, my rage was uncontrollable and I didn't know why. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. So um, definitely it's something that comes up. The big thing I'm seeing now is people looking for uh, perinatal health professionals to help with the weaning process to create like, all right, we're going to get you grounding techniques. We're going to get mindfulness in there. Um, We're going to do processing, journaling, things like that and do it slow. Yeah, that's important for the physical part of it too. Yeah. So many so many people just want to be like, I'm done. And then that's what I think we often talk about it in a weaning consult that about doing it slowly is for comfort uh for uh the the breastfeeding parent and and the child, but sometimes in our minds we're like, I am so done. We're not doing this anymore, right? And then we start weaning and then we're like, okay, never mind. And so that's where I think going slow can also be helpful because we can in our brains go, this is what I need to do. And then we see, you know, maybe our baby isn't adjusting very well 
to even with this slow weaning, like we think in our mind, this is what, you know how many weaning consoles have you done, Colette, where the mom's nursing their baby? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're two year old. I want to stop breastfeeding. I'm like, really? It doesn't look like you do. But I think in their minds of like, oh, I'm nursing a two year old, like the world around them is saying, hey, maybe it's time. Or she, you know, they're just feeling like, yeah, I think it might be done. But when the time comes, they're just not ready to do it. So I think it's great that you're really talking to them about doing it slowly for mm -hmm. mental health reasons, but also for physical, for mom and baby, right? Yep. You know? And emotional for baby too. And emotional, <laughs> right? We, we think about the mental health part for a child who's being weaned. And, and when it's not a child-led wean, it can, be a, <laughs> it can be a little more challenging. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we can we can challenge the idea and also say that babies get postpartum, too, if your attachment is off because you're experiencing it. Yeah. So it's, you know, we talk about holistic. We treat the whole family like yeah. everybody should be getting support during that process, um, during any feeding challenges, like all of it's important. I can't tell you how many times I have a couple come in where the husband's like, well, we're not having sex because she's still nursing. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about like, yeah. so you're upset about this mom. Like, yes. where are you at with this? Well, I'm not ready to stop. And so we kind of have to work on that part of it too. Yeah. Um, oh, that'll be the next yeah. podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got tips. We, yeah. we can we can always talk about sex postpartum and with nursing and everything else. So. That sounds great. That's awesome. Well, I I'm definitely going to put um, in our blurb about this podcast about the postpartum support international because that sounds wonderful. And our and our referral list and our you know helping families find. We have a handful that we you know refer to just locally, but there's lots of people who don't you know could really use that in addition to seeing someone specifically or finding someone for themselves. Do you have, and I will, I gotta, I gotta do the plug-in. The plug-in is that everlasting wellness, all of our clinicians are trained. That's part of the orientation process. So awesome. even if they are not yet certified in perinatal, cause it, that could take about two, three years. Um, they all have to go through training. Our interns are all supervised by those of us that have already gone through the training. And we take insurance and also have sliding scale. Yeah. So, and you do, gotta, I know you gotta do, do telehealth, correct? You you offer telehealth yourself, I know, right? Yes. Most of what you're so doing. So, I offer telehealth. There are two in person offices in Berks County. I think one is in Royceford and the other is in Springsford. Spring. Sinking Springs, that's what it is. <laughs> um, so, the in person is a little bit out there, but uh, we do have amazing virtual options that are also close by to Philadelphia, Montgomery County, and Bucks County. Why, what's the reason for not having virtual? Like, is there a reason that in-person is better for certain situations? I would say that for some people, um, if you have a, a crowded household and you don't feel like you have a safe space to talk, yeah. then in-person is going to be better. Um, I've, I've honestly seen it more in lower socioeconomic uh, families where they have like 10 people in a house or, you know, we talk about like DV, domestic violence. If there's something like that going on, yeah. um, if there's some fears, then very much in person is going to be better for you. Uh, you know, virtually, I think we can be extremely flexible as long as you're not driving a car, we'll figure it out. <laughs> 
when we do it safely, we're good. Um, But I think that there are some people that it's just easier to vibe in person uh, and safety. Yeah. Just feeling safe to be able to talk about those things. Great. Well, do you have any final words of wisdom, advice, wisdom (laughs) for the postpartum parent? That you matter very much. Like you matter, your physical and mental health matter. And, you know, you need to prioritize that and ask for help. I don't care if it's your neighbor that you talk to. I don't care if it's your dentist. But say something to someone if it's bothering you. Use use those resources because uh, you helping yourself is only going to help you be the parent that you want to be. Yeah, that's really great to think about. I think we're so centered on baby, 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 because it is a really exciting thing that sometimes I often have to remind parents, like, you didn't just, like, plop out a baby like you just, or if you know got what if they've had a c-section I mean you've had major abdominal surgery it's not just your body has gone through some pretty amazing you have to give yourself a chance to heal physically and I think emotionally it's I think we just focus on the baby which is pretty important but like you're saying I think to be the the parent you want to be you need to be as healthy as you can be mentally and physically absolutely well, thank you, Je- <coughs> losing my voice. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us. I will definitely get the word out about the Postpartum Support International as well as Everlasting Wellness. And I'll hope you return someday for some other good topics. <laughs> Thanks, Jessica. I am always here for Thanks for listening to The Feeding Frenzy. The BRC is a nonprofit organization committed to providing expert clinical and educational breastfeeding services. Find out more about us at breastfeedingresourcecenter.org.